Hello and welcome to the second episode of Superhero Ethics After Dark. We're continuing our coverage of the True Blood TV show on HBO with myself and Ashley Coffin. Today we're getting into Season 1, Episodes 5, 6, 7, and 8. All that more after commercial break we have no control over. Welcome back, I'm Matthew, your host. Just a quick reminder, this is Superhero Ethics After Dark. It's kind of a special series of episodes we're doing where we're going to be talking about very adult content. Um, here we're talking about HBO's True Blood, which is a very good show, has a lot of great ethical questions, a lot of great things to explore, but it does it with a lot of naked people on screen. <laughs> and it does it while diving pretty seriously into intense topics about sexuality and BDSM and open relationships and, you know, animalisticness and uh, like all the things that come along with, you know, why people find vampires so sexy. Um, so uh, if you're not vampires that sparkle. Um, but so all, the, the point being, uh, if you're under 18, please do me a favor and turn this off. Uh, certainly, or just don't, I'm not even going to say don't let your parents know, just turn it off. Um, and if your parents, if you're listening with your kids in the room, maybe save this for another time. Uh, with all that out of the way, though, um, and I'll just say I wish we lived in a world where I didn't have to do that, but I also don't want to get sued. Um, so, uh, Ashley, uh, so good to have you with us. How are you doing today? How are you I feeling am. about diving back into True Blood? I am great. I'm great. I just love this show so much. It's like we were talking about we could do an hour and a half on each episode. We really could. Yeah. I mean, if... I kind of want there to be some seven season show and maybe the boys or something like that is going to turn into it where we just were season after season. We're doing this because yeah, every episode here has so much. And um, for those of you who haven't seen the show, we're going to give you episode summaries, but we're not doing a episode by episode review. We're just going to talk about some of the key ethical themes that come up in it. Mm -hmm. um, so let's actually use that to dive in. Let me kind of give a quick summary of the four episodes we see, uh, especially because this is very much a, it's not an episodic show. It's a continuous story show. So it's kind of, I kind of just walk through the big things. Yeah. So we start in episode five where uh, Bill has been invited by Adele, Sookie's grandmother, to the Descendants of the Glorious Dead meeting, which is a, it, it's basically a version of Daughters of the Confederacy. Yeah. And a lot of places in the South have groups like this. And we're definitely going to talk about that. Oh, it's yeah. a really interesting thing. Um, and he speaks at the meeting and clearly a lot of people come in very suspicious of him, very nervous around him. Some in the kind of, it's, it's almost sort of like the, the joke about white liberals when they are like falling over each other because a black speaker's coming and they're trying so hard not to offend them that they <laughs> wind up being super offensive. Yeah. Um, it, it's kind of the vampire equivalent of like, oh, do you know I voted for Obama? I'm going to tell you I voted for Obama. Like that kind of attitude. Um, but so anyway, so that is so that meeting goes pretty well, uh, and he tells some pretty harrowing stories about his own experiences in the Civil War, and kind of makes it clear that for him, this was never about the big political issues. He actually says like we didn't really know much about those. We just knew that like we were defending our homes and our state and stuff like that. And we can talk all about like the the messaging there, and that's certainly an issue worth getting into. But anyway, that that that's what he he says it. Um, but you can also see that he's upset because, like, someone uh, finds a picture of his family, uh, what they looked like before he went off to the Civil War. Um, Sam was there on a date with Sookie. And because Sookie, remember, he gotten pretty mad at Bill at the end of the last episode. Mm -hmm. um, and he tries some stuff. He tries, uh, you know, to kind of make a move on her, give her a kiss. She says he's not she's not over Bill yet. She's not ready. And he gets really mad. And in this just great scene, he shoves her against a wall as he's shouting at her and he says, 
you know, you can't ever be safe with Bill. Don't you know I'll ever I'll always protect you. Ugh. And it it's just such a great, you know, like he's being violent as he's saying. Exactly. That's why I always said I have I have so many issues with Sam. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. Um uh Lafayette uh meets with Jason again and Lafayette basically talks Jason into trying V again and into explaining that like, you know, if you don't do as much as he did last time, just do a little bit, you'll you'll be fine. Um, we wind up getting, uh, the story of how Bill became a vampire. And it's a, it's a great story where he like, he's coming back from the civil war and he meets with this woman who's a war widow and she takes, um, you know, he, he goes to her house cause he's just starving and thirsty and is barely alive. And it, we find out that she kind of has been having people come to the house and she takes them as lovers because she's so sad and lonely. And he doesn't want to do that. We kind of see that he's a good, honorable man. Um, but then when he refuses her, she's like, no, this is going to happen. And it turns out she's a vampire. And she killed all the others. But because he's a man of honor, she's going to turn him into a vampire instead. And then all that happens. And we see Suki coming home to discover that uh, Adele, her grandmother, is dead on the floor of her house. And it looks very much like the crime scene of the other women who've been murdered so far. Only a lot more blood. A lot more blood, yeah. So episode six starts with basically the people of the town dealing with this death and, and with Sookie. And they basically do, uh, uh, I, I don't know what Southerners, necessarily what, what the word for it would be, although I've certainly heard my mother talk about it being a thing that happened. She is not Southern, but her, her parents were. You know, it, it's kind of like the equivalent of a wake. You know, people bring all these casseroles over and they're kind of supposed to be sitting with her. But, of course, Suki can read all their minds. And mm -hmm. Suki knows that they're all being, you know, they're trying to put on a nice face. And they're trying to, you know, say the right things. But all of them are thinking, like, oh, this is because Suki's dating that vampire. This is because the family's all weirdos. This is because of Adele. You know, they're, they're just saying all these horrible things in their head. And Suki can keep hearing that. It's awful. And so Suki winds up kind of breaking down at them and screaming at everybody. Um... Who, of course, this just sort of confirms their thoughts that, you know, she's just crazy and all the stuff doesn't make sense. Um, her uncle shows up. Uh, Adele's, her great uncle shows up. Her, uh, her great, her great uncle shows up, Adele's brother, who uh, she's obviously very, very mad that Jason invited her. We don't really know why, but, but apparently he hasn't been in touch with the family for years and years and years because of something that happened. Um... Jason and her are also fighting a lot. When Jason first finds out about the grandmother being dead, he blames Sookie and he hits Sookie. And it's this really hard scene to watch. Mm -hmm. And he, towards the end, he wants forgiveness and he wants to say, like, we're still a family. <clears throat> but of course, she's like, no, we're, we're not a family anymore. That's just not how this is working. And again, for those folks who think I'm like taking too long with this, I promise I'm giving you the most condensed version I possibly can here. <laughs> um, and so the other two things that really happen is in this episode... Uh, Tara's mother uh, speaks at the funeral and talks about how, you know, she acknowledges that Adele probably raised uh, Tara more than even Adele did because, you know, she was drunk so often. And she says it in very kind of like couched language, but it's a very nice acknowledgement. But to Tara, it's nowhere near enough. And Tara gets very upset about this. And her mother, it turns out, wants to cure her alcoholism. But her mother believes it's because of a demon. And, she, and at first you think it's kind of a metaphorical, like, you know, people talk about alcoholism as like a demon or I've got this thing inside of me. I have to fight it. 
But we find out that, no, she literally is, like, she thinks this is a demon, and she wants Tara to give her money for an exorcism. <laughs> um, so, so that's a whole thing. And then the, scene, the, the, the episode ends with three different couples getting together, clearly all of them dealing with the after effects of what has just gone on. And um, it's Suki runs to Bill, and the two of them— ha- uh, ha- Suki runs to Bill, and the two of them make love, and it's clearly just this wonderful experience for both of them, mm-hmm. including her giving him permission and asking him to bite her. Uh, Jason hooks up with just a drunk woman at a bar who's just had her divorce and is clearly just wanting to go out and get laid. And you see this moment of her riding him, facing away, and he's crying because just he's having the exact opposite experience that that. Suki is. And then Tara and Sam, who are at this point kind of both brokenhearted over other people. Um, Sam, who really wants to be with Suki. Uh, Tara, because she's recognizing just how lost into the addiction Jason is and that she wants nothing more to do with him because she actually catches him uh, fucking this other girl after Jason is proclaiming all of his love to her. And so her and Sam hook up, and you can imagine how that goes, where the two of them kind of both want to be with other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then we get to episode seven, uh, and here kind of the, the stories uh, condense a little bit more, so I can uh, sum them up faster. I hope uh, we find out, by the way, that uh, Uncle Bennett, Uncle Bartlett, the sister of Adele who'd come to the funeral, uh, he had molested uh, uh, Suki in some way, and. Mm-hmm. She kind of talks about it like that it wasn't as bad as it would have been for other girls. Like, you get the sense it didn't go as far as it could have. She could hear all of the thoughts. Exactly. Which exactly. is, ugh. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like she could, he was like acting nice, but saying all these horrible things in his head and she could hear that. And so it was in, in some ways, maybe even like comparing that to anyone else's trauma seems like impossible. You know, how could you even say? Yeah. Not that you can ever compare traumas, but like it, it's a thing, obviously. And so the point is she tells Bill this story. And then uh, the next night, Bill goes and finds Uncle Bartlett and kills him. And it's just very quick and very clear that he is here for vengeance. Mm -hmm. Um, An awful lot of the uh, episode is the exorcism itself. Tara has come around. She's decided that she wants to help her mother. Her mother keeps blaming the demon, but also keeps saying, like, I don't want this. I don't want this. I want to be a better person. Mm -hmm. And Tara's like... I guess she just kind of like says, like, I'm going to give this a shot. And so and and the exorcism is presented. We'll, we'll talk about it. But it's presented in a way where, like, it's the kind of thing where you might roll your eyes at. But, like, it's a world where vampires exist, you know, and voodoo magic could yeah. also be a thing. And You're like, maybe, in New Orleans. <laughs> yeah, it, it certainly isn't coming off as a uh, a fake. It's coming off as someone who. You know, she claims she's been doing this since her family was in Africa before they came over as slaves and, like, the traditions have been kept, which is all the kind of things that a fake would say in our own world. But, you know, you're sort of like, you're sort of left with, like, I don't know what's happening here. Uh, and in a great scene, she kind of confronts Tara about the fact that, in her words, Tara has a demon. <clears throat> because Tara has really been realizing, like, she kind of wants to get together with Sam, but she keeps pushing him away. And, like, what they call a demon, I'd basically just call borderline personality disorder is someone who has borderline and recognizes it, you know, like, uh, think, um, Zuko from Avatar The Last Airbender or Katra from Shira, or a lot of those kind of characters who just like, they keep pushing people away because they can't trust. Um, but by the end, like that's really given Tara something to think about. Uh, and then, oh God, there's just so much. I'm sorry, folks. I, I need to f- find better ways to summarize. Um, 
Jason has been like trying to find a way to get V again. He tries to steal some stuff from Adele's house and Sookie stops him. He winds up going to Fantasia and just making a fool of himself, basically trying to get someone to sell him V. And this woman named Amy finds him. <clears throat> she's another human, but she's also into V and she probably knows a lot more of what's going on. So she tries to kind of like to, to calm him down and get him to like not do all this dumb stuff. And they go off to have their own V adventures together because she has V. And then the last thing is that the Nest, who are the three vampires we saw in the first couple episodes, who were kind of making fun of Bill because they're main, Bill's mainstreaming and they still want to be vampires. They still want to kill people. They still want to drink their blood and just live that life. Um, they come to Merlots and they're threatening people and they're throwing people around and they're sort of like to all the people who think vampires are scary. This is kind of exactly why they're kind of proving them right, which is a really interesting thing we'll, we'll get to. And um, <clears throat> it turns out, though, they're doing this because once they start so threatening Sookie, Bill, they immediately grabs Bill's attention. Bill goes to be with them uh, and winds up Bill deciding to leave with them. And Sookie looks heartbroken. It feels like um, Buffy Angelus all over. You know, she's, <laughs> she loses her virginity to a vampire and the next day he turns awful. But they are... There have been these three redneck characters who have seen at the bar a lot. They've been pretty terrible. They've all been terrible to... And I, I call them rednecks because that's the way they are identified in the show. Like, I yeah. think that can be a kind of pejorative They're proud term. of that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think they call themselves that. Um, they've been, like, harassing Sookie. They've been horribly rude to Lafayette, the uh, the gay the gay chef, um, uh, the gay black chef. And um, they firebomb the house. You hear all these screams. And the episode ends with Sookie finding out that four bodies were found there. And so she's thinking Bill left with these four. This means Bill is dead now. Bill left with the three. Bill left with the three of them, yeah. So that now there's four. Yeah. Episode eight. Uh, next time I'm going to have uh, you and me are going to bounce back and forth summarizing them. So it's not okay. just people hearing my voice for 10 <laughs> minutes. And I'm so sorry. We're still figuring this out, folks. Um, episode eight, we find out Bill is still alive. He buried himself in the earth instead of spending the night with them there. Um. Amy and Jason are going on adventures, and at first, it's kind of this wonderful thing. Like, Amy is a kind of ridiculous character. She's very much, like, East Coast liberal. She went to an East Coast college. Like, I, she's very much from the world that I grew up in. Mm -hmm. um, and she's the person who's like, oh, I hate my daddy's world. I want authenticity. So she feels like Jason isn't dumb. Jason is, like... Um, unself-conscious in how he decorates his area you know and just like she's saying all these things that jacob is like yeah sure just give me the v in your body like but but as it turns out like she does seem to see some real potential in jason and like there's, there's kind of a nice connection that they have especially when they realize that like they have had this incredible physical experience together while on v without ever having sex which just blows his mind yeah um but of course the episode we start seeing her going into withdrawal, fiending, and becoming more of an addict, and the two of them doing crazier and crazier stuff in order to try and get V. And the episode actually ends with them kidnapping a vampire. This really sweet vampire we meet because uh, Lafayette is is working with him to get, uh, he's doing like sex exchange for his blood. And so, yeah, that's just a really hard scene. Um, yeah, poor Eddie. Yeah, Eddie. And so the last part of this episode is that Tara's mother actually seems great. Like, um... The she's throwing away all of her alcohol. She feels totally different. She's rejoined her church. She cooks breakfast for Tara. 
And you see Tara being like, Tara has a conversation with Lafayette about what do I do if I think this is totally fake, but it seems to have worked, you know? And do I mm-hmm. worry that it's all going to fall apart in a month or is this real? Uh, and that also just brings up so many great questions. Uh, and it ends with actually Tara going back to see the woman <laughs> who did the exorcism. And we, we don't know, like, what's going to happen there. So, yeah, a whole bunch to talk about. Uh, we'll find better ways to summarize the episodes in the future. But for now, uh, Ashley, what's kind of your thought on these episodes? I feel like it. I mean, it's it's hard to just summarize all the episodes. Yeah. Um, my thoughts on it. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, we're getting into the meat of the show. We're learning who the characters really are. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're starting to see people's flaws and then where they're best. I don't know. It, it's the middle of the the season's kind of hard to, to yeah. summarize. Yeah, I think it's a good point. We're, these are 12 episode seasons. So we're basically like act one, act two, act three. Act one is kind of like introducing you to all the characters, introducing you to the world, setting up the stories. <clears throat> act three is going to be the resolution of a lot of these stories and figuring out where things go from here. But right, act two is just like nothing but plot. So yeah, it, it's probably a lot <laughs> harder to summarize. That's a good point. I feel a little better for that. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a lot. And then there's just so much like there's like we said, there's things that we didn't even get to that we could talk about. And it's just yeah. uh, it's hard. You have to watch the show to be able to keep up with these episodes of, yeah. uh, of the podcast. <laughs> I, I, I don't think so. I, I, we got a lot of people writing in saying they hadn't watched the show. I definitely encourage watching the show, but I do want people to feel like, you know, the reason to do the summaries is if you watch it eight years ago or if you haven't watched it, you can still follow our conversation. And again, because we're not trying to do episode by episode reviews, what we're going to do is just focus on some specific topics. And as we get into them, we're going to talk more about some of the things that happen in the episodes. Um, and let's first start, talk about the topic of like Bill and mainstreaming. And, <clears throat> you know, it's interesting because until now, we've only gotten the set. Bill is the only kind of good vampire we've really met. Every other vampire is... They're not always as bad as the people in the nest, but they're still kind of like all the the people at Fantasia are just being very threatening and very like, yeah, you want what we got, but you know, we're gonna like make fun of you and 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 we can hurt you and <clears throat> all this kind of stuff. And I love that they we therefore get introduced to Eddie, who's just mm-hmm. the sweetest, nicest guy. He's a vampire. He has a, you know, there's a kind of scene that says so much about him where he basically like. You know, we know Lafayette does sex work. Lafayette is having sex with this guy in exchange for vampire blood that he can sell. And Eddie just needs to know that Lafayette would still come over if it wasn't for the blood. You know, he wants to believe that he's doing a favor for someone who really likes him. And right. you see that Lafayette's actually really good at that, um, which, you know, something a lot of sex workers can be very good at. But also that it just, it's kind of hard seeing how it all fits together. Um, but yeah, kind of what, what's your take on like what we're learning about... Whether vampires can mainstream by the fact that now we get Eddie and Bill, but we still get so many other vampires feel like they're not really safe American citizens yet. Well, I have some thoughts on Eddie. Um, So I love Eddie explaining what being a vampire is like for him because so many of the Mm -hmm. other vampires are hundreds or thousands of years old. And what he's experiencing is so different. Like he's giving blood to sell giving vampire blood to sell is a huge no-no and i don't even know if he knows that he's not allowed to do that because he's technically a baby vampire stuck in you know like 50 60 year old man's body and lafayette keeps asking like what you know what fun is being a vampire if all you do is watch tv and he's like i love tv he's i just want to be liked i just want to have connections like he's so lonely and yeah lafayette is doing a great job of being caring you actually kind of believe him you know yeah. 
And I think I think there, I think there's I think one of the things that makes it happen. And granted, I I've, I've heard a lot of sex workers who are friends of mine talk about this, so I know it's very much a thing. I, but also, did you look at Lafayette? Lafayette, Lafayette is very quick to get on people, especially people who give him shit, you know, and are racist or homophobic or mm-hmm. any of that. But other than that, like Lafayette, kind of loves everybody. He wants to find the best in people, and I. I think he like we see him like roll his eyes for a little bit when Eddie asks him, you know, would you still come if it weren't for the blood? Yeah. But then when you see he's like, no, Eddie, don't worry, I'm gonna make you feel wonderful. Like I, I see something really genuine there. You know, yeah. I, I feel like he does care about Eddie. He wants Eddie to have a good time, not just because it's work, but he mm-hmm. also is like, yeah. But Eddie's got to remember, like, I'm not. He's not who I'd come over and have fun with on a Monday night for free. Right. And my favorite is when he was like, I got you a Merlot because I heard you go. F- you said you go for Merlot. And he was like, I said I work at Merlot's. Yeah. <laughs> so cute. But it's like they have this really interesting relationship. And that's one of my favorite things, like talking about Lafayette. Like um, episode five has my favorite scene with Lafayette yeah. in the whole series. And it's the Aidsburger scene. And what I think is important about Lafayette is this was, I don't know if it's the first time, but it's one of the first times I remember watching, seeing a, a, a gay man who's very feminine, who wears makeup, who's, uh, you know, mm-hmm. style and grace, but he's also showing that you can also be powerful and strong. Yeah. He's both sides of the coin, which I think is very important for gay representation to show you don't have to choose one or the other. You can defend yourself in that way too and have your nails painted. Like, I think it's really important that we see more characters like him. Because what happens is they send the burger back. They say, oh, that gay chef made it. It must have AIDS. Mm-hmm. And he comes out right in the middle of the restaurant and just humiliates them. Screams. And, like, and like, I love that no white character got up to save him. There was no Sam. Jason at the end laughs and gives him a high five. But mm-hmm. they weren't saved by the local white boy hero or any of the yeah. other white characters. He handled it. Bitch, you come in my house. You're going to eat my food the way I fucking make it. Tip your waitress. Yeah. And it's I love such a good it. Sp- and you're right. And like... Over later episodes, I mean, we see, you know, he talks about how he was all all parish, which is kind of like all county in baseball. You know, he was a jock. He was uh, he does webcam stuff because he's a great body. He's incredibly cut. Yeah. yeah, I think you're right. He he plays with that stuff so much. And it's just such a great part of his character. That's why um, I love when Sookie lost her virginity. She's frigging telling everybody, which I love. Yeah. But the the only person who goes like, okay, hooker, you know, like that's what he calls. I call my girlfriends yeah. that too. He, you know, is like, go on with your bad self. Good for you. And he's the yeah. only one who says that to her. Definitely. And we'll get into, we're going to do a whole thing on sexuality. But just so back to Eddie, kind of, did you have any more thoughts on Eddie himself? No. Okay. Well, so what? Here, here's here's kind of where I wind up coming away from it is I feel like Eddie is clearly like the nice guy vampire. Then we have the nest and people like that where I'm sort of like, I I understand why you're afraid of these people. Like, and we talked about this in the last episode that it, vampires are very much not a perfect stand in for a group like, you know, queer folks or uh, black people or anything like that, no. where like there's all this mythology and fear that has no basis in fact. Vampires, it's a very different thing where it's like, well, but there is some basis, in fact. They eat people. Um, <laughs> yeah. And and even Bill, you know, Bill is trying so much to be that person who can mainstream, but he talks about how hard it is because he's having to unlearn 150 years. And I think it's very intentional that we see him like, you know, uh, no one is crying tears over this, you know, child abuser being killed. But it's very clear that, like, I think if Suki finds out, when Suki finds out, if she does, she's not going to be thrilled to find out he did this, you know, because yeah. it's 
it is a murder. It's a murder right. for revenge that many of us can probably feel very understandable, but it's still murder. Um, it's kind of like it, how she felt after she found out he killed those two people and tried to make it look like a tornado. Like you're right. still murdering people. Yeah. Well, and you're not. I, cause I think part of the idea is that Bill feels like he couldn't he couldn't go to the police for 150 years. So he, they have developed their own system of law and justice. And that freaks her out. Yeah. Well, and so what, where, where do you kind of wind up with this question about, like, where do vampires stand? Like, do you think people should trust that vampires should be like Bill? Should they all be afraid of them as though they're like the nest? Where, where should we be feeling about vampires right now? I feel like the analogy of vampires for this just also just goes for just people. Yeah. There's serial killers. There's monsters that walk around with you every day. There's rapists. And, you know, you don't know if you're sitting next to a pedophile or not. And I feel like yeah. that's kind of the analogy they're using for the vampires. Because, sure, we have great people out there. Like, I, I don't know who to use an example. Somebody everybody loves. I don't know. I like Anderson Cooper. Let's just use yeah. him. He's, you know, this TV personality, the stand-up guy. But then there's, like, I don't know, Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah. And in 1980s or 1970s, if you're sitting next to both of them, you would, wouldn't know who either of them were. But this guy next to you eats people and this guy's going to go on to, you know, save a child from getting shot in Iraq. Yeah. So I think it speaks very much to instead of focusing that part of the vampire on like a, a community that's being persecuted or, you know, mm -hmm. like the gays, that is more of people, us, yeah. every, not us, but like. What people say is like regular people. Well, where where are the monsters? Right. I, I think that's exactly right. And because and, one of the things that I kept thinking about it was the whole idea that we should judge this whole group based on either Bill and Eddie or the people in the nest is it doesn't make sense. But it's one thing I think that happens with these groups all the time. You know, mm -hmm. there's talk of like being the model minority and being like the, uh, you know, uh, the minority that can show that they're different from everybody else or that right. certain members of them can, you know, and. The things that the nest is doing, like, yeah, they are giving you a bad name, you know, so it's just such a hard. Well, and that's kind of to me one of those interesting questions is these rednecks who we've met. Again, it's the term they use. Um, you know, we've seen them be horrible people this whole time. And then the nest comes in and the net and also very judgmental of vampires. You know, they're super judgmental of Sookie. Everyone in the bar finds out that yeah. Sookie had sex with a vampire. They can see the marks on her neck because Sam exposes her. Sam's a total shit in these episodes. Total shit. Um, 100% like the guy who thinks he's been friend zoned. And he, um, and they're terrible to her about this. And, but then when the nest comes in and, and says, hey, we're living in town now. And they basically tell Sam, like, Sam tries to defend himself. They call him a dead man. They say, Sookie, we're going to drain you dry. I mean, they're like a gang that's rolled into town and is saying, we're above the law. We're going to threaten you. And yeah. so when these three horrible people go and firebomb their house, I wasn't sure I was mad at them for it. Like, right. And, and I was mm -hmm. thinking, what, what do you think? Because I think like I, I, I think that's the point is I don't I think we're supposed to feel like this is kind of a morally gray. Like these are characters we hate, but we're not super mad that they did this. Is that kind of how you felt as well? Yeah, it's a small town and a town's going to defend itself. Like in that scene, it's it's so funny how like Sam <clears throat> He can be he'll be great for one scene and then a shit for the next six. But yeah. in that scene, like he breaks a bottle. He's like, this is my place. You're going to get out. You're not going to be threatening my people in here. Uh, and he was going to protect, you know, his bar and these people who yeah. are his townspeople. <clears throat> and even though they're horrible, most like 98 percent of them are just the worst. Um, you can't have 
you know, something like these three move into town because they're going to start killing everybody in this tiny little town before they can even do anything about it. So for them to have taken that into their own hands and done that, I mean, it's problematic, but I don't disagree with them. Yeah, I think it's kind of and I think like we find out that the fourth person was a basically like a blood doll, a, a person who voluntarily like wants to spend time with vampires so that Neil, it was Neil, the coroner. <laughs> yeah. It, he was, who worked with the coroner and we see who I hate, by the way, the, the, that guy, Mike, oh my God, what a, he's the creepiest guy on this show. Yeah. The coroner, the coroner, the coroner, we've met him a couple of times. He's super creepy. I think he's supposed to be super creepy and we're going to, yeah, but boy, he nails it when he finds out that Mike was, uh, that, um, uh, no, Neil, well, Neil died. He feel he's obviously very broken about this. And so there's still like, you know, kind of a an innocent victim there as well as like, you know, again, you'd want to have like a legal system to deal with the fact mm-hmm. that these people just committed assault and threatened deadly violence. But part of the point is like, how do you arrest a vampire? You know, like, well, and isn't it interesting that they don't even care? Because they just keep calling, like, only he uses the name Neil. Everybody else is like, well, it was the three vampires and some fang banger. Yeah. Like, nobody even cares because he's a fang banger. He deserves what he got. Right. Yeah. And I think that that's definitely, and I think that's the exact same way, like, that what all of them were saying about Sookie. Like, it should have yep. been Sookie who died instead of the grandmother and stuff like that. Oh, that was terrible. Yeah. The one other thing I want to say about that bar scene, and then we kind of move on to the next big issue, is we haven't talked about the character of Terry at all. And in these episodes, we really get to know T- Terry is the cousin of uh, uh, Andy Belfler, and- who's one of the detect- who's the detective who's kind of been investigating things. And he is uh, he's clearly someone who came back from Iraq with very bad PTSD. Mm-hmm. And I love Terry. He's such a good character. And there's this beautiful moment where, you know, the minute the attack starts, Terry leaps into action I don't remember what he says, but he says he says something that's very much clear, like in a like he thinks he's in Iraq for a second, like a battle mm-hmm. cry, and the vampires just push him aside like it's nothing. And yeah. later, there's a scene where he's so broken about this, and Arlene, who's one of the we, we talked about her as the waitress, who's like very go- she's got a good heart, but she's very gossipy and very judgmental. She's problematic too. Yeah, <laughs> but she, she's racist. She yeah. is a yeah yeah. She's racist. She's anti vampire. She's racist. She's judgmental. You know. Yeah. Um, but she she's very much a oh bless your heart kind of a person, you know. Like she'd always yeah. say the sweetest thing in person, but then be cruel in the, in, in behind your back. Ooh, not always. <laughs> well, yeah. But but so she she has this really nice scene comforting Terry, where Terry is clearly so upset that he couldn't do anything because he feels all this responsibility. Um, mm-hmm. And we get another couple other great scenes about him with his PTSD. So just another kind of thing to, to have mentioned as a part of this. Um, well, with Bill, like after he talks to the descendants at the end, he comes up and hugs oh, Bill. And he's yeah, like, they that's... just, they don't understand. They don't know what we had to do. Yeah. Because Bill was talking about just how, like, they want him to relive the war because they think it's interesting. And and he's clearly so shook up about it, you know. And He snaps at them at one point. I'm pretty sure it was, I, I can't remember what episode it was. I think when she says, I think it's actually earlier when he's invited to do the glory, the uh, mm-hmm. Daughters of the Glorious Dead. And he was like, it is not glorious. What? Le-? And then he like reels himself back in. But he was really upset that they were calling themselves that and thinking yeah. that way. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right, so let's move on to the next uh, <clears throat> topic, which is addiction, because we've seen Tara's mother be an addict beforehand, but I feel like these four episodes, we really dive into addiction with these twin stories of Tara and her mother and the demon, and then also Jamie and uh, Jason and Amy, and the two of them mm-hmm. becoming the addicts. What, what's kind of your, your take on, on how these stories played out? 
<clears throat> well, it's uh, which one do we start with first? We'll go with uh, Tara and Letty May. Yeah. Um, that's why um, I think if you okay, how do I say this? When you watch the movie The Exorcist, there is a scene where. Uh, the mother is in the room with 20 doctors mm-hmm. and she's like, what's wrong with my daughter? And they're like, oh, we're not sure. We want to put her away in an institution. And she's like, I'm not doing that. And the other doctor, these main doctors of the world are like, what is, do you believe in exorcism? Have you ever heard of it? And that's where it starts to get interesting because that the power of exorcism and belief, if you believe so much in something, mm-hmm. will that change your mind about what has happened to you? And for Laddie May, it looks like that is what it was. She needed shock therapy to get out of her addiction. And honestly, sometimes maybe that does work. I don't know anyone who's ever actually done something yeah. like that to stop their addiction. But it, I guess it could also be um, linked with like hypnosis mm-hmm. to stop smoking or something like that. But if it, the power of something like that, maybe we should do it more. Yeah. I mean, it's a very hard thing to watch. And because I feel like with, with addiction, especially, you know, 30, 40 years ago, all anyone cared about was personal responsibility. Addicts are weak. Addicts can always choose to do better. They just choose not to. They're lazy, whatever it is. And, you know, more recently, we've really started to understand, like, science has always know, has known this for much longer, but it became more mainstream. Like, addiction is a, a disease, you know, and it can become a chemical addiction or a psychological addiction that is not just, like, you can't just beat it often with straight willpower. Like, you have to treat it like a medical issue. And mm-hmm. I think that's a great thing. But uh, and I because my mother was very much an, an act and uh, I suppose my father to some extent, but especially my mother with alcohol. This is something I've really studied quite a lot. And, and one thing I, I, you read a lot about is that that's a great movement, but it could be a problem when it goes so far to the other side that the person doesn't take any personal responsibility or any accountability for their own actions. And so that's yeah, that's that's a problem. And and, and uh, uh, Jeff, do you want to jump in more there or can I keep going? Well, I was going to say like that. That's so my mom was a drunk, like mm-hmm. a nasty one. And that was what she would do, you know, not to get too into the woods with it. But yeah. that's why when Tara said no daddy and a drunk mom, I used to fix things all the time. I was like, oh, shoot, that's my childhood. Yeah. And my mom would hit me. And in the morning, she would when I had the bruises, she would tell me I did that to myself. Because she blacked it out and didn't remember it. And that would leave no accountability on her side because she would just lie to herself and say, you know, oh, I didn't do that. You're putting uh, an orange in a sock and and you're doing that to your face, which is where I learned that's how you could do that. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, and that's why that's why Tara is having such a hard time with it because you can't just flip a switch and expect everyone around you to be okay with the fact that you're suddenly okay. Yeah, 100 percent. And and. And especially also because that's exactly what Laddie May, uh, how do you say her name? Laddie May? Laddie, Laddie May. Laddie May, thank you. Um, try not to give you too many names here because, again, you're going to get lost. <laughs> but um, Laddie May, she utterly refuses to take any accountability. You know, she, you know, Tara will say, Mom, you did this to me. And Tara will she'll say, no, I didn't. That was the demon. That was, was the, the demon. demon. And there's this one incredibly painful scene where um, Tara, ha- uh, her mother has very hot coffee that has some vodka in it <clears throat> and Tara's trying to, uh, Tara's trying to take it away and some of it spills and, uh, Laddie Mae gets very upset. And first you think, Oh, cause it's burning her until you realize like she starts like 
putting her hand on the spill and then licking her hand and then like mm-hmm. sucking on the part of her sweater where it spilled. Where It's not the heat. It's that she's trying to get every drop of alcohol she can. Mm-hmm. And when Tara's like, how could you do this? She says, no, it's not me. It's the demon. And you just see like she's got this plate. And so it's, it's such a hard balance where like if the demon idea helps her to stop drinking, then you're right. Like maybe this is a good thing. But also like the utter lack of accountability and, re- and responsibility seems like such a problem. Yeah, and it is. And that's why it's so confusing for Tara. Right. Especially because I-, I think we're supposed to, my impression is that we're supposed to think this is like 80 to 90% likely just, you know, all fakery and psychosomatic. Mm-hmm. But like vampires exist. And yeah, exactly. people who can read each other's minds exist. So like the idea that demons exist is now no, it- it's sort of that like, if there's 10 impossible things that you all think could never be true and then you learn one of them is true, the other nine, like, maybe it's not yeah. quite so easy to say they can't be true. <laughs> yeah. And I think, honestly, that's why with someone like her, an exorcism would cure it. Yeah. Yeah. But be- that's not going to work for everybody. PSA, guys. <laughs> you know, it, it's funny. When I was in seminary, this question came up because the seminary I went to was very kind of, you know, on the liberal end. But even like even in ma- most mainstream Christianity, like if you're a pastor, you're expected to like learn psychology to some extent, you know, because you're giving counseling and like religion is important. But so is like making sure people aren't doing dangerous things. And so we got new discussion in one of my classes about, you know, what can you do if you feel like a person like their discussion of religion has crossed into like they're hearing voices and it, it, it feels like it's mental illness manifesting in a religious way in a way where like you as the pastor is supposed to be able to acknowledge like I can't do this a mental health professional needs to take over um and at one point we asked you know our professor like okay but how do you find that line and and what she said was a big part of the line is are the voices is their understanding of religion whatever it is telling them to do harmful things to themselves or other people. Mm-hmm. And we we're all kind of thrown. We're like, wait a minute, because it's not the thing. It's just what the thing says. And she's like, listen, like if someone believes that Jesus talks to them out of their toaster and their toaster tells them to go to the food pantry and volunteer and go sing in the choir and go do other nice things, then so what? You know, and like I was just there's such like and like I think a lot of mental health professionals might be like, no, that's still bad. But I thought there was an interesting idea of like if this is the metaphor that they use to get through and to do good things. Great. It's when the metaphor is telling them to go hurt others or hurt themselves, you know. Right. Um, and I, I think that's yeah, it's kind of how I feel here is like if it's worked, then yeah, I think if Tara paid this person four hundred forty five dollars to trick Letty May into thinking there was a demon and thus cause her to stop drinking like. Yeah, maybe that's okay. <laughs> that's why Lafayette says that's the best $440 you've ever spent. <laughs> yeah. And, and Lafayette, we've gotten the sense of like, like at first he thinks this is all fake too, but he believes in juju. You know, he believes in, like he does this great speech at the <clears throat> the wake kind of thing where he says you don't want to be eating any of this white people food. Uh, first of all, cut bad. great joke about like white people and casseroles. Um, yeah. But he says, yeah. I would want the two of them to take care of me if something bad happened. Oh God, Tara right? and Lafayette, they were the best. They're so good. Yeah, they take, <laughs> they take such good care of Suki. Um, sure, come on in. We could always use more white people. Yeah. <laughs> so, so let's look at the other side of it with um, Jason, Amy, and V. Because I think, I think it's very intentional that we get these two addiction stories at the same time. 
Well, Jason's an idiot. In which anybody, whenever you take, and I say that lovingly, mm-hmm. whenever you take an idiot and give them something like that, that's so addicting, uh, you're just going to have problems. Because even like he's on V constantly for what, three out of these four episodes? Mm hmm. He doesn't even like stop until the last episode. When he finds out that his grandma's dead, he comes to the house. He smacks Sookie horribly to the point where she takes that Valium. And it, you're just like, you know, then he, he's he's high at the funeral. And it's you, you just see him starting to fall apart a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like he throws the uh, blood paper out the window and then can't find it and starts having a breakdown. Like he looks very much like an early addict, yeah. whereas you meet Amy, and she is a functioning addict. She's the one, the kind of person that you don't know. It's like that. They pretend like they have their shit together. They act like they're superior to everybody because they feel like they've conquered something, you know, mm-hmm. and are in a different plane of existence than everybody else to find out that she's a goddamn monster. She's terrible. Yeah. Like, she wears the silver because she uses it to attack vampires, you know? And it's the, mm-hmm. like, because at first she's very much, like, Mother Earth goddess and, like, in a very kind of, like, making fun of that kind of way. Because, again, like, I knew so many people like this when I went to college. And I probably was like this in college, too. We're all idiots and when, we're, when we're young. Yeah. Um, no offense to any of my uh, college-age fans. I'm sure you were all much smarter than I was when I was in college. But, like, you know, she's super into, like vampire blood is this connection to mother earth and so we are like she she doesn't just want to take the drug she wants to make this ritual of a prayer to mother earth for this blood but Mm -hmm. then but then also it turns into like yeah she's like what is more natural and organic than hunting so for us to hunt vampires for their blood is like this beautiful you know earth goddess mother thing and you're like oh oh, that that's some justification there Mm-hmm. And seeing her personality change completely, like right. she's fine and this like bubbly, everything's great. And then she, you know, the next second she's like, I need V. I need it now. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I see through your cracks, honey. And there's also just something so identifiable, I think, in sort of, you know, think about like every bad stereotype of like the American tourist who goes to somewhere in the developing world and talks about, oh, it just... I had such a moving experience this one day I fed people in Nicaragua and I just, I connected with the earthiness, you know, and it's just, it's just so patronizing and condescending. Ugh. And mm-hmm. everything she says about this small town is just all of that. Yeah. Ugh. And what does he say to her at one point? God, I wish I could lick your brain. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Just stop. And that's also why it's <laughs> kind of sad because like she kind of has a very positive effect on Jason in some ways, you know, she like mm-hmm. is... Um, you know, making him feel better about himself. And and she has this Sookie kind of is like, Amy, you seem like a great person. You know, my brother's kind of a player, right? And she's like, no, mm-hmm. like, you should give your brother more credit. And uh, you just know Jason's going to crash and burn again, and it's going to suck. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, poor Jason. Mm-hmm. Jason, Jason. Uh, one of the things I just want to say on that also is I do feel like this is a moment where you get to see that Lafayette isn't perfect by any means either, because... Lafayette basically talks Jason into trying V again. Like, at first, Jason's like, I'm never going to touch it again. And Lafayette gives him this whole thing about, like, no, you just didn't ride it right. you got to learn to control it. And then later, Jason comes back to him and demands more. And Lafayette's like, get out of my house, you evil idiot. Like, 
And you stupid addict. And you're like, but Lafayette, mm-hmm. you put the needle in his arm. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, I the way that Jason goes about everything is out of line. Like, he just, yeah. he has that white, like, he's white privilege. I think he's supposed to be the epitome of white privilege in this. Yeah. I want it. I want this. Give it to me now. You should be doing this. I can have sex with anybody I want. <clears throat> he's just, you know, yeah. and getting away with, you know, Almost not committing murders, but looking pretty guilty for some murders and getting away with even going to jail for, you know, being locked up to find out like he is that epitome. And that's what I love about Lafayette, you know, putting his foot down and and saying, you know, and like, get out of my house or I'm going to kick your ass Mm -hmm. and him having to run out of there. Because, no, you can't just come in and have everything. And he didn't follow what Lafayette told him to do. He gave him rules. Right. But Lafayette's an idiot because he should know how Jason's character is since they're friends. Yeah. So everybody, and I don't think anybody on this show is supposed to be perfect. You know, I think that's what I like about the show is every single character is flawed and they're supposed to be because it makes it more real. I mean, I think that's a good way to start moving into the discussion of prejudice and how, how that is manifesting in all these episodes, because one of the first things we see in episode five is uh, after seeing the nest that we saw in the last couple of episodes, you know, these vampires were pretty terrible. Sookie winds up being very judgmental and is now like, well, Bill, you're one of them, so I just can't be with any of you. And, and there's just this little detail where he's listening to uh, Tuvan throat singing, which is this thing that, like, I believe monks in Tibet do. It's so weird. It, it, it's weird. A lot of people love it. A lot of people don't. That's fine. But, you know, it's like it's a different tradition. That's fine. It's not what I would put on at a party, but fair enough. Yeah. But as she's saying all these, like, hateful things about vampires to Bill... She says something like incredibly dismissive and kind of racist about the throat singing. And I, I feel like that was so intentional. You know, it was very much, again, showing like, look, even she has her prejudices. And the fact that she's having these prejudices against about vampires towards Bill is because, yeah, she's also not the most sensitive person on some of this other stuff. Mm-hmm. And Bill goes back and forth a lot. Like when he's in front of those other vampires, he's like, these are my cons, Sookie. I got to go with them. Right. And then he turns around and he's like, no, I was just, you know, I really do. And I'm sweet and this and that. So he's not making it easy right. for her. And she is young and naive. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of young and naive and prejudice, how about um, Arlene's kids? <laughs> oh, yeah. So let's talk about Arlene. And also, because we haven't really talked about her husband, Renee, at all. Well, fiance now husband <laughs> now now fiance yeah we we talked about him a little bit the last set of episodes because he's the one with a great Cajun accent that you know and it's not even an accent it's 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 literally kind of like a different dialect like there's a lot of words that he uses and it's a very sort of like French grammatical structure um, yeah I like listening to him talk <laughs> yeah it's gorgeous so what 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 t- tell a story about the two of them and and the kids I really uh, I there's they keep painting Renee to just be this the only person in this town who's not an asshole like as so so far he's might be the only one who hasn't done or said anything horribly shitty like um arlene uh had said some really nasty things to Sookie and then needed a babysitter so she goes up to her and she's like hi sweetie i hope you're i'm so sorry for what i said i love you blah 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 and Sookie can read her mind so she knows Mm -hmm. that she needs a babysitter and she says Mm -hmm. yes and then when they show up uh, Bill's there and Arlene is immediately upset and Renee is kind of smoothing it over like they're going to be fine it's only for a night we're still going to go out and Arlene like right in front of Bill puts her silver bracelets on they go out and he proposes in the most adorable way yeah. I thought it, really cute yeah it's a really sweet like he pretends to have to pull over and then asks her to grab the flashlight but the batteries and flashlight don't work so he asks her to open it up and the ring is in there and you're just like it shows how thoughtful he is you know and mm-hmm. how 
And, and even just their kids. I mean, their kids are so excited to hang out with a vampire. And yeah. you can see. And then when she's upset, Renee is the one who's like, no, they're going to be fine. They're, they're going to be Any, safe. Yeah. Anytime a group of the, the, the village people, as you would say, are saying something horrible, Renee's on the side saying something positive yeah. like he helped Sookie with those guys and I, I think they're, they're doing that you know I don't for a reason but um it is interesting to see that he is like the only character who seems like they're not problematic yeah I, I think it's super true um, and then there's the scene where um the kids ask to see Bill's fangs and Sookie gets a little like oh what are you gonna do because he says yes and then he comes up with the little uh the little, what is it, like Doritos? Yeah, like he put, he, it's very a fake thing. He's just having fun with the kids, you know? And yeah. It's also and nice like, seeing Bill's really good with kids. They're like, do you drink, do you want soda or something? Or milk? And he's like, you can say I'm lactose intolerant. And the one kid says, just like my Aunt Fern, except she don't tolerate Mexicans. <laughs> Out of nowhere. And that, you're like, my God. Yeah, and it's just such, like, it's funny, but it's obviously, obviously horrible. But that's the kind of point is that it's, it's, from the mouths of babes. Yeah, he doesn't understand yet why that's a problem. And also because maybe Arlene hasn't talked to him about it yet. But you get the sense that yeah. Renee probably would have. Um, yeah, so I think the, their couple is great. Let's still talk about that Descendants of the Glorious Dead because there's just so many layers of meaning, I feel like, happening in that scene. Uh, what, okay. What's your kind of take on how that scene plays out, especially in, in terms of prejudice and things like that? Well, it was interesting, like Adele having to deal with all of the people from the town calling her mm-hmm. and being like, you know, you're getting people killed. How could you do this? How could you bring him into this house of God? And and her having to deal with that, which I thought she did funny. She's like, OK, well, you too. Bye bye. <laughs> when that goes, that one chick was like, you're going to burn in hell for this Adele Stackhouse. Yeah. But all of those people still showed up to watch the show. Oh, yeah. It, you know, there's a thing going around. The internet every now and then that's about like one great thing to do if people make like a racist or sexist or homophobic joke around you is to be like, I don't get it. Can you explain why it's funny? And like make them have to explain. And uh, one person, I think it's actually Arlene. I'm not sure. But she's like, well, but aren't you afraid? She won't say why she's afraid of vampires, but she keeps hinting at it. And Adele does the exact same thing. Like, well, can you explain to me why it's scary? And I just... Here's the thing that kind of breaks my brain, and I think it's very intentional, is that Adele, I think, is very much like Renee. She's the other person who's the, like, she's telling Sookie, like, God made vampires. They're all part of everything, you know? She is the most sort of anti-prejudice. She clearly was a mother to Tara and, like, fought, you know, I think there's something about, like, her, like, standing up for Tara there in many ways. Like, she's such a good-hearted person. And mm-hmm. she's the person who helps run the celebration of the Confederacy. And yeah, I, I think a lot of it is because of just how much the, like, the, the public narrative around it has changed since the time the show was made. But still, I feel like I, I think it has to be intentional by the writers of like wanting to show like we, we, we think about the prejudicial things that we are aware of and we can try and fight them. But we might still have like super f- problematic, fucked up things we're doing that we just never thought about in those terms. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And it, it isn't like that. And then you see the what uh, Hoyt's mom, who is pretty horrible, mm-hmm. actually being like, "Well, he can't come in here if there's a cross in here. We got to rip that cross down." Which I thought was a really interesting dynamic of. This character, who is a kind of a hateful character, in a church talking about taking down the cross right. so that Bill doesn't feel uncomfortable. That was 
that you you would think that that's like a good thing, but coming from her, you're like, wow, I, I'm surprised that that character would care about that. Right. And there's also a really interesting moment there from Bill where he specifically says that because he loves his country, he would never want to put himself before Old Glory. And so he, he hangs up Old Glory at, as well, which is also such a like... <clears throat> oh, they had used the flag to cover up the cross. Right, exactly. And, that, and, yeah. and it's so... Like, and to me, especially with the way we talk about it today, it's like, wait a minute, at a celebration of the Confederacy, you're talking about how much we have to honor the American flag, but all of them go along with it. And... Mm-hmm. I, for me, I think there's two. I, I do think that we're supposed to understand that there's a huge hypocrisy here that Adele doesn't see, and I right. think I think a lot of what's been happening over the last fifteen to twenty years has been that we're making people see that a lot more. That that like all the heritage, not hate stuff. Like this is so hard to talk about because I want to be like I think this was always propaganda. This was always lying to people, but I I honestly believe that someone like Adele. Like when people started saying like it is hate, it isn't heritage. Like I, you know, there have been lots of people who were like, "Yeah, I used to have a Confederate flag up. I took it down because it was explained to me like why it was not okay." And you sort of want to like shake someone and be like, "What? How could you not realize it was okay? It wasn't okay." And I think this all goes. And I don't want to get into like a whole long thing about like explaining racism, but like right. the, the whole idea of like racism being much more systematic than just individual, like. Adele's been raised in a world where this was never questioned in any way, shape, or form. And I right. I, 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 have to believe that she'd be the person who would be like, yeah, no, maybe we shouldn't do this group anymore once people really started talking about it. But you don't know. And that's like, yeah, it's such a, because it's just such a mindfuck with her character. Yeah. And then before we even get into it, she is just horrifically murdered. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, because, yeah, you can even tell like T- Tara just hate seeing the Confederate flag there and making all these comments about, like, yeah, all these white people here, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so is there anything else about the kind of prejudice topic we want to get into? I think we, we did a lot of it the first first couple episodes, and, and, and here it does come up a bunch. We've covered most of it. Uh, yeah, no, I think, I think that's... All right. If not, we could go on and on and on. Oh, but... sure, yeah. Um, and again, also, yeah, two white people talking about racism is like, eh, other voices should get involved in if we're going to go deep into that conversation. <laughs> yeah. but, but again, it's great because like, you know, I, you, I know you as a woman have talked about the stuff you faced and how you can relate like for myself, like as a queer person, like and the, there's all sorts of ways that all, and I think what the show is doing is it's not just about race. It's about race and homophobia and anti-vampirism and religion and like all this different stuff wrapped up together. Yeah. And it's important, I feel like to, you know, for people I don't know how to say this. I just think it's it's not like we I don't like that we sh- peop, you know even insinuating that we shouldn't talk about it. Mm-hmm. They're putting it in the show for us to see and I feel like especially now if you watch the show now you'll get so much more out of it cuz I I said before when I watched it the first time I didn't make all the connections. Right. But now that I'm older and have lived through some of the things that you know our parents had to live through back in in the 60s or whatever i've i understand things a lot more differently and i see exactly what they're trying to do in the show yeah and i think it's so important to do yeah i, I think and to talk about yeah i think it's great no I, absolutely yeah i just want to mean like if we're gonna go to, to two and i think we should be talking about it but but other, bring other voices into the conversation as well but that's all i meant but so as i said like one of the first things that happens that i think is really fascinating is we have these three different couples having sex at the same, all on the same night, all right after the funeral, all clearly dealing with a lot of upsetness about the funeral and what happened. Uh, 
Bill and Sookie, who looks like it's a fantastic experience. Yeah, Jay- that Sookie's my hero at the end of this episode. Yeah. <laughs> While crying and finishing a whole pie, she then puts on a hot silk nightie and runs as fast as she can through the cemetery to end her virginity. Yeah, he does not seduce her. She runs right to him. Um, yeah. Where meanwhile, like Jason is just with some woman he picked up at a bar and he's crying. And then Tara and Sam are having this like hard experience while they're like both mourning other people. What 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 do you think is going on there by having those three different situations all happen at the same time? I feel like it has addiction. What 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 is the gluttony? I feel like mm-hmm. it has a little bit to do with like glut like Sookie is a virgin and she's hurting. Everybody's blaming her. She finds her dead grandmother. You know her brother just smacked her. Someone who molested her is now back in her life. You know who who is cut out and she wanted to just feel something good and Mm -hmm. as far as everybody around her keeps saying sex feels the you know is what drives their entire lives especially her brother yeah so her running to bill like that and just having such a steamy scene like honestly i was like i wish my first time was like that um (laughs) uh, you know it seemed great um then go you know then you go to two people tara and sam who are trying to forget kind of what's you know they're trying to find comfort in each other but when it's not something you actually want to do you act like tara does at the end it's not that she doesn't want to do it but she had other things on her mind that weren't sam and that was the one thing he asked her to not do like don't mess around with me yeah you know i'm hurting too and i'm a person too and then she yet again kind of uses him oh something about the the uh I wanted to bring up about the, what he said about her sounding like Serena Williams. Oh, yeah. Well, let's definitely yeah, get into that. We'll get there. We're, we're going to do some kind of it's last thoughts. Ex- yeah. Yeah. Um, and then you go to Jason, who uses, who has sex pretty much like every day. And this was the one thing that he could use as an escape. But it's been so heavy what happened. Yeah. He, even that, like, that didn't work for him. Yeah. You see it work for Sookie. It doesn't work for Tara or Jason, who have both been using sex to kind of... Yeah. Get out of their heads. I, 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 to me, it really brings up the idea of like that sex, like a lot of other things, it can either be something you use to run to or to run away from, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think um, uh, Sookie is quite literally, I think it's an intentional metaphor. Yeah. She's running to, you know, it's not, I think you're right. It's that she wants to feel something different, but she's also like, it's the whole like celebration of life in the midst of death. You know, she, she's been holding herself back on this thing she wants and she's like, why I want this? Why should I keep holding myself back? Mm-hmm. Jason, it's the exact opposite. It's the like he does. He just doesn't want to feel what he's feeling, and you know he really wants to feel connected. I think he finally is admitting that like he's going to miss Adele. He he reaches out to Sookie and says, "We're all we've got," and Sookie's like, "Then we've got nothing." And I think for him, yeah. he, like I know for me, like I definitely went through some periods of like. When when I, I relate so much to Tara in in, the, in this these episodes, and I know you've said similar things, we'll get to that. But also to to Jason, just in that regard of like using sex as a way to feel like people cared about me or people liked me, you know. And right. it, it just I, I feel like I feel like it's, yeah, it's just so intentional that like what Suki is doing is so different than what the others are doing, and I I, I love it because it feels like it's saying like we're not we're not slut shaming here. We're not saying it's bad to want sex. It's it's more about like, it's not how much sex you want or with who or when it's why you want it that matters. And I just think that's such a better message than we often get. 
Yeah. And like the next day, you know, Sam and Tara are upset. Jason's upset. But Sookie is glowing. And I love that she takes control of her sexuality, like making sure everyone knows that she loved every second of her sex with Bill. Yeah. Like, and she, did, she didn't stop talking about it almost to a point where she should have, and then went and talked to the right person about it, you know, Lafayette, mm-hmm. um, someone who will support her, where everybody else was not supporting her to the point where she was like, well, I don't care what any of you think. I had a great time, yeah. and I really enjoyed it, and I liked him biting me. <laughs> yeah. Which, hell, it looked hot as hell. Go, go, girl. It sure did. I love that the next episode continues the sex. You know, when you get, you, it ends in episode six and goes right into episode seven. And the beginning is the continuation yeah. of this long, passionate sex scene. <laughs> and that's also part of why I was so glad that Bill doesn't stay possibly dead for a long time. Or even with the nest. Because, right. like, I, I made the reference to, and this is one that's often talked about, but there's a lot of other examples. Like, there was a while when in mainstream television, like, if a woman has sex for the first time something awful has to happen to her she has to get pregnant or she has to get an sti or her boyfriend has to slut shame her or her friend slut shame her and like buffy for all the ways in which it is like progressive and feminist for its time uh written though by joss whedon someone we know has like really horrible ideas and some of the stuff <clears> like <throat> she has sex with someone and her sex with him literally turns him into an evil person who kills all of her friends like, it's not like she didn't know that was going to happen, though. <laughs> I mean, also, that's a thing. But, like, it's the most, like, <laughs> girls don't have sex. Here's what can happen, you know? Yeah. And so for it to be, like, yes, Bill did this thing that was hurtful to her for a little while, but it was over almost immediately, and he's okay, and they're okay, and they have sex when he's just crawled out of the ground, which I know you want to say something about that you can say. No, you, you do it. It was the best. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I, I, the comment I made, and you said that I was stealing your jokes, maybe both thought it is. He climbs out of the dirt. He's covered with dirt and they immediately start fucking. And I'm just like, hot as hell, but dirt covered dick. Like, is there any faster way to get a UTI? Like, he's like, they have the hottest dirt sex scene ever, but all that dirt in the crevasses cannot be good for your Pikachu. Like, oh God. And it, it, he's in a graveyard too. Like, he crawls like, out of the graveyard naked. Yeah. It's okay. And then, and then, you know, I love the second he goes to bite her. She's like, not the neck. Cause she actually does kind of care what people are thinking. Yeah. And I wouldn't want to hear it too. I'm sure if she couldn't read people's minds, she wouldn't care, but having to walk around and hear it. Ugh. Yeah. I'm, well, and I feel like that's, you know, one of the first things you learn as a teenager is like, okay, if you're gonna leave marks on your partner like do it below the clothing line you know yeah. like when they're yeah. not gonna no, show no not on the neck please yeah <laughs> we've all said that yeah but yeah so that comment <laughs> had to be made but um yeah so i just thought it was so much better than what had happened in buffy and just um I, yeah i just think it's a great comment so let's talk about the other time where sexuality is used kind of in a very interesting way uh, what's your feeling on the, the story we see about bill becoming a vampire Oh, I I love the character of Lorena. Like mm-hmm. she, what a predator! Yeah, she, what a she, awesome female, powerful predator. Yeah, especially because what I think becomes very clear is, like, this idea of like the lost widow who can't take care of things and will be so generous to any man, but of course all those men took advantage of her and and she kind of let them because she was lonely but they wouldn't sh- they didn't treat her with honor like you can see why someone like bill like especially like in 1860s at that time like yeah white knightism like it's so it it, it hits every point of i want to rescue this person i want to seduce them mm-hmm. i want to show them that things can be different and the fact that she's doing that all just to lure them in is just mm-hmm. so beautiful and then to see that Bill 
has actually, you know, he is a, he was a good person. He yeah. is somewhere maybe deep down there a good person because when he has, she, you know, tries to make advances on him, you know, at the very, you know, he, he's like, I'm so sorry. I love my wife and I want to go back to them and I'm going to leave. And that's what makes her decide, oh, well, you're going to be the person who I'm going to have with me through eternity because you're loyal. Right. And that was his downfall. Yeah. If he had just, well, she probably would have killed him. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know. We, there was no getting out of that. <laughs> we, he wakes up in a room that has the like desiccated, drained of blood bodies, I think, of these other people. And I think yeah. from what I got in this episode, at least, I, I don't feel like she's been a vampire for long either. I feel like she, like I believe that she was a widow and probably some guys did take advantage of her that way. And like at some point she became a vampire and like now is turning the tables. I mean, the way she tells the story, it feels like there's definitely some truth to it. Oh, even even seeing that, though, just the way she looks, I can tell that she's not from that area. Mm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. She's very exotic looking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that totally makes sense. That totally makes sense. I, I can see. Yeah, mm-hmm. th- that's the impression I got. But you're right. She might be a much older vampire. And we'll find that out as we go more. Uh, but yeah, like it just it's just so interesting the way it, it is. It's such a reversal of the seduction, you know, and there was one line that really stood out to me where she she doesn't just want to have sex with him she wants him to drink her blood because apparently that's how you become a vampire it's um when it was played world of darkness vampire the masquerade it's the same kind of idea you know you mostly kill a person but then they have to drink your vampire blood and so they become a vampire and the language she uses while they're having this incredibly erotic scene they're basically having sex as he's drinking her blood is she says take me inside you take me up take me inside you and and you will be mine and I just like that's that's so often the language you use around like male penetrative sex for you know that's yeah. so often the language you use for sex around like you know someone penetrating someone else where it's like the guy or the person who has the penis whatever gender they are like you know the the the, the person is taking them inside of them and so having that gender flipped was just like such a great thing. Mm-hmm. It's super hot. Yeah, yeah, it's very fun. <laughs> Very fun. Uh, and also just such an interesting comment on character. So, th- Well, then it's like if you talk about Sam and Tara's sexual encounters, I- I'm not turned on by them. Like, it it doesn't do anything for me because the two of them just seem they're so awkward together. And you can tell that these people are just forcing a connection and they're not having a connection, which is why I feel like that's why Tara always runs away or something always happens that, you know he says something pretty problematic to her like well you know let me tell you boys if if or girls whoever if your partner does something that's during sex don't tell them about it like yeah. you know what i mean like and he was like you're grunting as athletic like serena williams which is not a great thing to say especially to a black woman right well in point of fact he says it's athletic and she goes oh you mean like serena williams and he's like yeah yeah, <laughs> I felt like he got trapped a little bit, but that's because I don't think Tara wants to have this relationship with Sam. Yeah, she keeps doing everything she can do to not have it. And and that's where I said that. That's I mean, again, you never want to like diagnose someone off TV. And I'm certainly not a trained therapist by any means. So take uh, as a person who has borderline symptoms and who has studied it quite a lot. I recognize similar symptoms in her and certainly her childhood could very easily lead to that or a complex PTSD or to a a range of other. This is clearly a reaction to the traumatic childhood she had. But yeah, and she names that. She says like at one point, Sam is like, wait, why do you keep trying to turn into a fight? And she's like, I'm not good at this. You know, she knows that she's doing this. She knows that she's kind of self-sabotaging, but also he's helping her by doing really dumb things. And like, yeah, yeah, the athletic thing to me, it's just a white privilege. It's like he has no understanding of why that would be a microaggression to her, you know, or even more than that. Yeah. 
Um, well, I wouldn't want to hear that either. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And it's so funny because, like, she says to him, like, if there's ever anything you can do, if there's anything I can do better sexually, let me know. And he's like, no, it's nothing. And she's like, wait a minute, is there something? And it's, yeah, it's just like. Yeah, she, it's a bait and switch. Like, she's purposely trying. Right. And he's not helping. Subconsciously. Like, yeah, they're, no. They're both well, just playing into this. And you just. And that's a Sam. He's just so. You know, the whole the whole series, you, you see Sam as this, he, he is a nice guy. He helps his friends. He cares. But then he has this other side that's just, you know, the way he throws Sookie around. He's done it a couple times, screaming in her face like, you are her boss and kind of her friend. Yeah. Who do you think you are to get to talk to her like that? Which is why one of my favorite scenes is when they're talking about uh, the vitamins. He's like, I've never seen you take a vitamin. She's like, well, you haven't seen me do a lot of things. Right. And then he sees the B12 and he throws them and they explode everywhere. And I was laughing like, yeah, Sam, you have to pick every single yeah. one of those up now, you idiot. Because the idea is that you take B12 if your blood is if your your blood has been thinned, which, of course, it has because she you know, she had her blood drunk. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Sam to me is such a great character because you know, he's and I mean that in like. He's very well written as expressive of because he is very much, I think, a product of toxic masculinity. You know, yeah, he feels like he feels this possession towards uh, Sookie and it's very much motivated out of like, I care for her. I want to protect her. But then it's this male idea of like, you know, if someone is hurting her, then it's my then I, it's my job to protect her and to keep her safe to the point where it denies her agency because he's like, well, you know, it, it's a classic like, oh, I'm not jealous of Bill. It's that Bill is a danger and she can't see that. And so mm-hmm. I have to protect her from him. And and she calls him out. It's like, why can't how do you say you care about me so much, but you don't even trust me? You know, and that to me is just like yeah. I've seen that dynamic so many times. Mm-hmm. Any other kind of last things we wanted to bring up? Uh, we get Eric Northman in a bathtub. Yeah, that was a fun scene. Just taking a tubby, listening to some Swedish music. Mm-hmm. And I like that we get introduced to him now after we've kind of spent some time with the other characters. And now we're getting back to meeting the other vampires. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like he's running a bar. You know, he we learn the that he's the sheriff of, you know, the county and what that means to Bill. The hierarchy. We're starting to learn their, the vampire rules a little bit more. Right. Oh, yeah, actually, and I feel go ahead. I don't think I talked about the summary, but it, it's in this episode where we went into the like she had to go back to Fantasia and she helped them. Right. Yeah. It's the last like 10 minutes. Right. Yeah. So just a, a, basically um, we'd heard a little hints of this before, but Bill is part of a I talked about how he can't just go to the authorities. Vampires have their own authorities and yeah, called the authority. Yeah, exactly. And, and Eric is the sheriff. Of, of Area 6, I think it's called, you know. And so to some extent, Bill has to obey him. And uh, and and the other vampires have to give Sookie protection because she's Bill's, but Bill can't protect her from Eric. And so she has to go with him to go see Eric. And, and they basically use her ability to mind read to help find somebody who's been robbing from the bar. And we figure out it's a vampire and the vampire attacks and then we go to credit. So it's like one hell of a cliffhanger. Yeah. I feel like you can always tell that Sookie's going to be covered in blood because when she steps out her door and head to toe white. Yeah. Yeah. Her, her, her laundry bills are going to be quite extensive. 
<laughs> and I liked the inter- I thought it was interesting the interrogation. It's like every single person who Sookie listens, you know, in is either calling her a whore or a bitch. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody's ever like, what does she want? Th- uh, like Ginger, who I love. Ginger's one of my favorites. You know, immediately she's like, what's this little bitch want for me? I'm not going to tell her. You know, she didn't steal nothing. And then I thought it was so cool that Sookie's powers could tell that she was glamoured. Right. She's like, she knows, but she doesn't know. And that's when the one vampire, Long Shadow, attacks her, starts choking her. Roll credits. Right. Um, but I like the way that I, I like the way Sookie works with Eric. If, if everybody would just be nice, it would be a great partnership. Yeah. And, <laughs> and but that's the problem is because like on some level, I think there's a question of is Sookie a human? Because Sookie can do something that is fun, like that no other human can do. Does that make she her a different species, like a vampire, or is she a human? And so at this point, everyone's treating her like she's human. And there's mm-hmm. a great line from Eric where, you know, she says to him, like, why can't you, like, you know, why can't you ask me nicely? Why can't you say please? And he says, I forget the exact wording, but it's basically asking a human for help is already enough of an, an indignity. You know, it, yeah. it hurts him so much that this human can do something that they can't. What's interesting to me is I don't, you know, I never thought about it this way. Like, I don't understand why he would care about $60,000. <laughs> it was almost, I feel like it was, it was an excuse to get Sookie back there. I, I think it was two things. I think one was an excuse to get Sookie back there. But the other thing is I think so much of their authority and power comes from the fact that people think they have authority and power. Right. And so if someone's getting away with stealing from him, like, he's going to start to lose all of that, you know? Right. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's definitely an interesting thing from him. Yeah. I think we covered it. Yeah, I think we got it all. So I think this was a a great episode. Uh, Thank you, everybody, for sticking through us. As always, we want to hear your feedback. Uh, You can find us on The Ethical Panda, Ethical Panda on Facebook, on Twitter. You can email us, theethicalpanda at gmail.com. Or just go to the website, The Ethical Panda, which is where you find this and also all my other web, uh, all the other podcasts I do. And all the podcasting I do is part of the Stranded Panda Podcast Network, all except the Marvel Movie Minute, which is another great thing I'm on. But there's also stuff about that on my website. But um, Ashley, you're involved with so much else on the Stranded Panda Podcast Network. Talk more about what you do there and how people can find it. Um, you can find us um, on all the things, the MC, uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. I produce uh, that show on, you, you know, usually I think we do a couple episodes a week right now. Mm-hmm. Um, we're taking a little break from trivia and that, that's that's pretty much it right now. Oh, oh, on, on our Bingers Assemble show, we are covering uh, all the Halloweens. So we just did the 1978 one, which I'm really proud of. And then I'm going to try to be as positive as I can about the 2018 <laughs> Halloween. And then the new one that just came out, Halloween Kills, I can't promise anything. Um, but my pride and joy was the 1978 one that we just dropped uh, the other day on Bingers Assembled. And I think it's one of the fun things about Bingers Assembled is that and PandaVision is that when different people host it, there's different attitudes. I get that they're they're trying to stay positive. Uh, you know, when you come on, when you and I are going to be doing the boys and Umbrella Academy with uh, some some of the other folks like Jeff or Matt, you don't have to be positive. I'm certainly never going to be positive. I don't feel like it. <laughs> let's, let's rip stuff apart, you know? Yeah, oh, I'm going to. Yeah. <laughs> so if you like the, the newer ones, I wouldn't suggest it. But the 1978 one we just dropped the other day. Um, pride and joy. Loved yeah. it. So definitely check out all that stuff on strandedpanda.com. Please check out my own stuff on theethicalpanda.com. And, of course, also for my Marvel Movie Minute uh, uh, podcast, which we've had. Uh, Matt and Jeff and Ashley have all been guests. Jeff's episodes are already live. Ashley's and Matt's will be coming out in a couple of months. It's a great website. We do minute-by-minute reviews of we're doing the movie Thor. 
A lot of great stuff to say. Uh, check that out. You can go to thenextreel.com or just search for Marvel Movie Minute Thor. So, Ashley, thank you as always so much for being a part of this. To all our fans, thank you, and have a great day. Bye.